0: All right, turn your uh, Bibles to Psalm chapter 1, Psalms chapter 1 verses 1 to 3, uh, the Emmaus campus ministry, they just came back from a retreat called Shift and there were uh, over 50 students there uh, along with almost uh, 20-plus staff and volunteer staff that gave of their time and their prayers to sow into the lives of the students. And so uh, they just came back, and they're just filled with faith, filled with joy. And we will be praying for more for those college students. Yeah. Yeah. So praise the Lord for the retreat. Let's just praise the Lord one more time for the retreat. And thank God for the good work that he has done. Praise the Lord. Hey, by the way, before I start, I just want to... Um, I think I've done this before, but I'm, a, I'm just going to do it in a new way. I just want to uh, thank uh, John Westfall for all the... All the wonderful ministry that he does in the back there, with the podcast, with the tech team, with volunteer staff. Yeah, I mean he does so much, as as well as put up with all my um, all of my hammering. He uh, he smiles as he takes those hammers. Amen, John. Amen. All right. Yeah. I also want to. Uh, I also want to take a moment to, um, uh, thank the, uh, welcoming team. Uh, every single week, they have people out there at McDonald's welcoming people at the shuttle bus. Uh, they also, uh, hand you your, um, uh, your bulletin each week. And they just do a spectacular job of also, uh, welcoming all the newcomers at the newcomers meeting every, every week after Sunday service. Let's just welcome, um, let's, let's bless the welcoming team. Let's thank them and bless them. Thank you, welcoming team. Rona, you're doing a spectacular job. All right. Good job. All right. Okay. All right, that's enough of that. Let's move. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, The scripture says that when you meditate upon the law of God, when you meditate upon the word of God day and night, and you walk in his ways rather than the ways of the wicked, and you uh, you you sit, but not in the seat of scoffers, but well, when you delight in the word of the Lord, scripture says you're like a tree, not just any tree, but a tree that's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Meaning everything that that tree does to bear fruit, it does it in season. It does it with timing. And its leaf does not wither. You know, we we think about trees. Every season, every fall, and winter comes around, we have pampung nori. Right? Pampung nori. That's Korean for fallen leaves fellowship. It's where children go and they, you know, they frolic in all the fallen leaves and all the colors of autumn. And um, usually leaves wither and they die and they fall off. But this tree, its leaf does not wither. And it says in all that he does, he prospers. Everyone say, in all that he does, in all that he, does. He, prospers. he prospers, the word prosper here in the Greek. And I've been taking, I mean, not Greek, Hebrew, I'm taking Hebrew right now and it's kicking my butt. I mean, there's so much homework you got to do in order to stay up with it. But, um, funny thing is, uh, I did pretty good on my midterm. So praise, praise the Lord for my, for his grace. When the professor was giving out the midterms, he was—he each person on the midterm had to put down what percentage of homework they did, you know. And I'm being a man of integrity, you know. I don't lie about stuff like that. So you know, I put like forty you percent. Know, everybody else did like eighty percent, ninety percent. I put forty percent. Right, And then when he was giving back the midterms, he was like, Oh, look at this, you know, this student did really well. He did 90% of his homework. And this student did really well, 80% of his homework. You know, there's a correlation between homework and the midterm exam. And this is a weird, uh this is uh, unusual. This student did 40%, but he did very good, very good, very good, Christian. You did a good job, good job. And so... The grace of the Lord is upon me. Uh, Anyway, the Hebrew word prosper here is the Hebrew word for salach. And this means to advance, to prosper, to make progress, to succeed, to be profitable. In most uh, places, it is appropriate to to, uh, translate it as success or as to prosper. Now, a lot of people in the evangelical world, they think prosperity is a swear word. They think it's an evil curse word. And if you have that issue, you've probably been inoculated by ministers who have overreacted to the abuses of the teaching of prosperity in the church. You probably never really... Watch one of those videos where they're slamming the health and wealth gospel. The prosperity teachings. And then turn the video off and search the scriptures for yourself. Because if you did that, you wouldn't come to the same conclusions as those ministers do. Because those ministers have an agenda. They are trying to cast down the abuses that they see. Some of them aren't even abuses. But wherever a minister of the gospel mentions prosperity... Or health, which by the way is simply underneath the health is is teaching on physical healing. Which is the inheritance of the saints. Physical healing is not some weird ministry that certain select ministries are supposed to carry. The Bible says, blessed be the Lord, Psalm 103. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your transgressions and heals all your disease. We oftentimes will believe the first part of that, but not the second part. Does God forgive all your transgressions? Yes. Well, if you believe that, why do you have such a hard time believing the second part of that verse? He's the same God. The same God who forgives all your transgression is the same God who heals all your disease. And the Bible says, forget not all of his benefits. Anyway, there's a overreaction. Or overcompensation, if you will, to teaching on prosperity. And if that's you, you have problems with this word, I understand. I don't judge you. I don't blame you. Because I used to be on that same side with just as much or even more zeal. But after searching the scriptures and meeting with spirit-filled ministers who have Christ-like character and amazing fruit, I've concluded... That is a very bad caricature. And that there is a balanced teaching in scripture about prosperity. All right. And so if you have that issue, I have this wonderful message that I preached on January 23rd of this year. It's called God wants to prosper you. Go check it out. Anybody going to do that? Anybody going to go check it out? Man, God bless you. All right. All right, you, guys, you guys check it out, alright? It's a good message. It does say in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven In the NIV, it says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Make no mistake about it. God has plans to prosper each and every one of you. Now, a lot of Christians think that prosperity... An increase is simply a byproduct of God's blessing, or favor, or goodness. But as Lance Wall now taught, and this is, a, some, this is a revelation I picked up from him, a lot of people think increase and in prosperity is a byproduct of God's blessing and favor. But I'm here today to proclaim to you that prosperity. It's not simply a blessing or a privilege. For the people of God, prosperity is an obligation. Oh, it's going right over your heads right now. More than half of you. Just missed that. That's why I'm going to preach on this right now. Prosperity is an obligation. Meaning that you don't have a choice in the matter. Scripture says in all that he does, he prospers. In all that you do. Whether you're doing your job, doing your ministry, doing your studies, doing an entrepreneurial investment, in all that you do, the tree that is planted by streams of water, he prospers. She prospers. You don't have a choice in the matter. Pusan Church Plant Team. When you go down to Busan, you don't have a choice. You will prosper. In fact, you must prosper. And if you don't prosper, there's something wrong going on. Because prosperity is an obligation. People in the marketplace and in the business sector, you guys know who you are? Well, we know, we know it's easy for Sunny to, you know, respond. Man, she is prospering. Man. Sunny's got so much favor at her company. You know, last week, we got all this free furniture from her company. Because they, they moved from uh, their old location to the new uh, financial trade center. What's it called? IFC. I am, IFC, the International Finance Center. It's the new buildings that went up in Yoido. They moved in there. They're one of the first tenants that moved in there. And so as they moved, they decided to get rid of all their furniture and buy new furniture. And so hallelujah, you know, we like a good, you know, flea market. You know, we don't mind some of, you know, their old furniture is like new to us, you know. Made our, made our office look much better. Anyway, marketplace people, I expect you to prosper. It is your obligation to increase. Hear me now. Your co worker can't hold you down. Your boss can't hold you down. Even your mama cannot hold you down. You must increase. It is your obligation. In all that you do, you will prosper. Hagwan teachers. Uh oh. How about Hagwan teachers, international school teachers, all teachers up in this piece? Okay, because I looked at, we're working on the demographics for our church members. And a vast majority of you are working as teachers because those are the abundant jobs that are available here for foreigners. Let me hit a soft spot right now. You've been teaching at a Hawan International School and you've been teaching there for years and it's been a while and you ain't going nowhere. You're making the same salary. you complaining about the same things. If that's you, I'm troubled by you. I'm troubled by what I see. Your mentality and expectation, if that's the way you're living, I'm telling you right now, your expectation is not in line with the word of God. You're out of order. You have an obligation to prosper. And what are you doing? You're trying to maintain. You just, you're just scared. Your, your prayer is, Lord, don't let me get another job um, that has poorer housing or less pay. That's like the way you pray. It's not a, from a place of fear, not of faith. Or you have such little faith, your prayer is simply, Lord, help me to find a job that's just as good as the one that I have now. Now, what do you do? You go from CDI to E-Spirit. Back to CDI. You come back to CDI and you got the same position you got when you, when you left it two years ago. Telling you right now, there's something wrong going on in your head. There are things that are out of order. And I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just here to awaken you. I'm trying to invite you into something different. I'm trying to invite you into the Word of God. I'll tell you right now, five years from now, And most of you teachers, you've gone nowhere. You've made no progress. There's no evidence of you prospering in that position. And you're not willing to do anything about it. I'll kick you out the church. No, I won't do that. (laughs) But I should. Anyway. Brothers and sisters, for the people of God. Prosperity is not just a privilege, it's an obligation. Yesterday at the pastor's meeting, all the pastors got rebuked. Now, I I know I've rebuked some people today at Sunday Swim. It wasn't because I got rebuked yesterday. Don't worry. It was a separate matter altogether. But yesterday, Pastor Huang, he went off. But in a good way. When he goes off, it's a good thing. Because if you can, by the Spirit of God, discern what God is really saying through his mouth... you You can be blessed. And I'm sitting there, and he was yelling at everybody because their ministries has shrank by 13%. And I was thinking for a moment, why is Pastor Huang so upset about this? Maybe they had a tough year. Maybe there were unforeseen challenges. And I was reminded, though, as I was thinking about the words that Pastor Huang has spoken... I just felt like the Lord put it on my heart. Listen to the man that I set over you. And I, as, as I started pondering about the rebukes that we had received yesterday morning, the Lord brought me back to this revelation that's been turning in my heart. This sermon is birthed out of a place of wrestling and searching the scriptures. You know, And when the time is right, it floods out of me like a river. And the Lord reminded me of this message. In fact, this was the message that I was preparing for all week. I got a revelation about about it on Monday. scribbled all over this envelope. And then by Friday, I was like, Lord, what do I preach? Lord, what do I preach? And the Lord's like, you knucklehead, look at the envelope you wrote on on Monday. I gave you the revelation. And what I realized is, Pastor Huang... His expectation is in line with the word of God. His heart and mind are in line with the promises of God. And as the pastors received that rebuke, we needed to receive that rebuke. Because when there is decrease, that's a sign that something has got to change or something is out of order. Because increase is an obligation. Brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility to turn a profit. Whatever God gives you, he gives you with an expectation that you don't give it back to him the same way he gave it to you. You have a responsibility to turn a profit. Right now, America and Europe's economies are being hit with a massive recession and debt crisis. I would highly recommend uh, ABC News' podcast, NBC's uh, Nightly News. And you guys got to listen to the news, man. Because the world is shaking right now. Not only in the Middle East, not only with all the frequency of earthquakes. This past week, Turkey had a devastating earthquake. But right now, the, the Europe and America's economies are being tremendously shaken. It's hitting recession Or or people are fearing uh, a deeper level of recession. And lots of people are thinking, oh no, a recession. This is not a good time for an investment. This is not a good time for a business venture. Since the economy is not prospering, I can't prosper. And you know what that does? It actually makes the economy worse, because everyone starts to hoard their finances, businesses start to hoard their reserve cash, and that exacer- exacerbates exacerbates the situation that 's when people like the IMF need to come in and they need to bail countries out right now, you know what you know what um, what happened? The European Union, you know what they did? They asked China this past week to bail them out. IMF is about to bail them out. Everyone's about to help, help with it, but it is such a big crisis. They're asking China to help. Yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of people are talking. The, the rise of influence is fastly, quickly shifting to Asia. It's no longer Europe and Western world and America. It's shifting really quickly to Asia. And in about 10 years, if America doesn't recover, it is going to be Japan, Hong Kong, China. They're going to be Indonesia, India. They're going to be the leading economies of the world. And you know what? Personally, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I welcome that so soon. Because I've been to those countries. And there is massive corruption. Corruption in the government, corruption in business, corruption in environmental plans. They have no environmental plans a lot of times. They just dump it in somebody's backyard. And then when they find out, they take it to somebody else's backyard. I don't know if I welcome that so soon. But here's the thing. That's how the world is thinking right now. But if that's the way you're thinking, you got it all wrong. You need a holy rebuke. You know why? Why? It's because you're holy. Do you know what holy means? Holy means to be set apart. Holy just doesn't mean moral purity. You know, sorry, I don't drink. I don't smoke. Oh, you're holy. I don't go clubbing. Oh, the holy, holy, goody two-shoe girl. I hate her. Like, it's not, it's not the definition of holy. It's a shallow definition. True definition of holy means to be set apart. Can I show you a story of a man that was set apart? Turn to Genesis chapter 26. And let me give you a picture of what I believe personally is a picture of how the people of God today ought to be living. I believe this is a picture of the church. You can disagree with me on that. That's fine. Genesis 26, verse 1. Look at verse 1. This says, now there was a famine in the land. Now get your head around that. There was a famine in the land. People are starving. When there's famine, people starve and they die. There's no food in the house. People eating once every two days. Go to verse 12. I'm going to read verse 12 and 13. And Isaac sowed in that land. I'm reading for the ESV. And reaped in the same year, the same year as the famine, a hundredfold. Why? Because the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. In the New King James, it says the man began to prosper. And he continued to prosper until he became very prosperous. And you know, the funny thing is, it wasn't even like Isaac was particularly blameless. Because right before verse 12, the scripture says, he lied about his wife. Isaac lies, and in the very next verse, he still prospers when he sows in, in a time of famine. When every economic specialist is telling him, don't you dare invest. Isaac's like, I respect your opinion, but I'm going to sow. And in the same year as this famine, Isaac sowed and he reaped a hundredfold. And he prospered and he continued to prosper, be a prosper until he became greatly prosperous. When the plagues hit Egypt, you guys know about the ten plagues? There are flies, frogs, hail, you know, hail coming out the sky. You ever see hail? One time I saw hail when I was living in Philly. They were the size of grapefruits. Cars got just jacked up, all dented up. But imagine that, man, just on a whole nother level. When God sends hail, man, he sent hail on Egypt. He turned water into blood. I mean, all these plagues was devastating Egypt. But the word of God says none of it touched Goshen. Why? Because that's where the Hebrews were. That's where the people of God, the chosen people of God, the Israelites were living in Goshen. And because they were chosen, they were holy. And because they were holy, they were set apart. Set apart from all the plagues that were devastating Egypt. Just as the plagues did not touch Goshen, the recession doesn't have to touch you. It only touches you if you let it touch you. You are set apart, brothers and sisters. In fact... During the time of recession, this is your time to shine. This is your time to really prosper in a midst of, amidst a of world that is in chaos. In, in amidst a world that is uh, hoarding their wealth, this is the time for you to invest. This is the time for you to prosper and shine, so that the world will inquire of you and what makes you unique. So they start to take note that the people of God are truly set apart. And while the whole world is melting in fear, you offer solutions to get the world out of the recession. That's what the kingdom's all about. You think if Jesus was on the earth, a recession hits, Jesus is like, man, I ain't making no investments. This is crazy. See the world out there? Obama can't do nothing about it. Nobody can. My job, unemployment rates over 10%. Oh, this is crazy. Now, I believe if Jesus was walking on the earth, he would say, you know what? That's pretty bad. But I know a solution to that. I know exactly what the solution is. And we, as Christians on the earth, we manifest Christ to a lost world that does not know God's word. That does not know personally God in his love, in his wisdom. And instead of melting in fear with the rest of the world, we have to offer solutions, brothers and sisters. You know, anyone can prosper when the economy is doing well. But only the people of God can prosper in a recession. Only a people of God can turn a hundredfold profit during a time of famine. It's all about being holy. It's about being set apart. But if you fear what they fear, and if your mindset is conformed and no different than the world's, then you'll simply reap the same struggles that the world, as the world does. When they shake, then you shake. If you worry like they do, that means that your faith is not in the promises of God. Your faith is in the lies of the enemy. Because God never told you That you should fear when a recession hits. In fact, God says over and over to his people, fear not. People of God, we have an obligation to prosper at all times and in all that we do. Whether you have a college degree or college degrees... And you're living in a metropolis like Hong Kong or Seoul or New York City. Or whether you have just a few dollars and you're living in the slums of a third world country. If both are in Christ, both have an obligation to prosper. God does not look upon the poor one. That has 5% of what you make in a month. And then say, oh, you're so poor. Oh, uh, you know, you just stay there. God wants to lift those people out of poverty. Now, you got to go back to my first message at the beginning of the year. I preached. uh, Over and against a very popular preacher. I preached. Because this preacher preached that prosperity is almost always evil. And after doing a whole bunch of uh, mission trips to third world countries, I concluded the opposite. It's not prosperity and and wealth that is almost always evil. It's poverty that is always evil in my sight. You ever go to a poor area? You, you think, oh you, know, oh, you should live modestly and we should learn to embrace poverty and, you know, you Know, relate and have compassion to the poor. Man, you ain't never been to the poor areas of Davao. You never been to the poor slums of India. When I see those children, five, six people in that family living in a dingy, tarred up tent, pitched on some street corner where there's all this trash piling up, that is the work of the enemy. That is bone crushing. Spirit-oppressing poverty. And when I see it, I smell the, the works of the enemy. And I believe when the kingdom advances, the kingdom breaks people free from such poverty. Oh I mean, I'm getting to church history for a second, but I can't go there. It's going to take too long. All right, let's keep going. Now, why is prosperity an obligation? Why? I'll give you a few reasons why. Because you're connected to the creator of the universe. That's why. And the creator is the most creative person in the whole wide world. And you have favor with him, by the way. And you have his spirit, by the way. That means that you are connected to a limitless, unending source of creativity. God never runs out of ideas. You know that phrase we say all the time? Oh, I run out of ideas. What do you think? God never says that. And if he says it, he's just trying to set you up to hear what you think. We are connected to Endless creativity. Fresh ideas. We are connected with the calendar of heaven. With perfect timing. Kairos moments. New markets. Wisdom. Training. The Bible says in 1 John 2.27. The anointing teaches you about everything. Let me say that again. The anointing teaches you about everything. That means his anointing teaches you about everything. That means when you're connected and filled with the Holy Spirit and the, the anointing of the Spirit is flowing through you, that means you have no lack. There, that means you have no deficit. God means, that means if God gives you an assignment and a calling... He doesn't just leave it up to you to figure it all out. He gives you the calling and assignment. And then he's like, where are you going? You're like, I'm going to, I'm going to fulfill the assignment, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm right back. Let me go fulfill the assignment. And God's like, what are you doing? I'm going to teach you about the assignment. Stay close. So many Christians, you know, they, they get called by God. Lord, here I am. Lord, send me. And not only do they get sent out to their assignment, they get sent away from the Lord. Like, let me let me, go, let me go finish this. And they pull on. What do they pull on? Their own experiences, their traditions. Not knowing and understanding that what worked yesterday is not going to work today. Just like it is in the music business. As much as we, we don't like Lady Gaga and she freaks us out. Her fresh ideas work for music. As as much as all of us don't like Simon Cowell, he he has hit something on the money with the X Factor show. He has fresh ideas that people are interested in. But what worked yesterday doesn't always work today. And that's why not only do we need to get the assignment from God, we need to continue to be taught by God about how to do the assignment. Because the anointing teaches you about everything. That means that God gives us everything we need to prosper in any given assignment. It doesn't matter how small the assignment or how big the assignment. He gives us everything we need to prosper in our assignment. Let me give you an example. Joseph. Joseph had an assignment from God and it was to serve as a butler in Potiphar's house. Can I read something to you from the Bible about what it says about what what Joseph went through? It says in Genesis 39.3 His master, Potiphar his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did To prosper in his hand. Isn't that so interesting? A non-believing Egyptian master. Does not have the spirit of God. But Joseph was prospering so much as a butler. As a butler. That a non-believing Egyptian took note. That he prospered in everything he did. What does that sound like? That's like the Psalm chapter 1 tree that we looked at earlier. In all that Joseph did, he prospered. And then when he got accused of rape, and he got thrown into, into prison, it looked like, oh, you don't look like you're prospering now, Joseph, does it? You're wrong, because if you keep reading in that same chapter, verse 23, it says, the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Let me tell you something right now. Joseph prospered wherever he went. Whatever assignment, he prospered. And and many of you in here, you young people, We young people, (laughs) we young people, man, when I was younger, uh, y'all younger people, when I was younger, you know what I used to think? It's exactly what I see many of you already. You think, when I get to my calling, I'm going to prosper. When I get to my real assignment as a worship leader, as a preacher, or as a business analyst. Or as a CEO. Oh, I'm going to be a CEO one day. Or a uh, hip-hop dancer. Or a uh, 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 supermodel, you know? When I become big, when I get to my real assignment, I'm going to prosper. And you have a natural expectation that you're going to prosper when you get there. But you've forsaken the process. You've forsaken every little assignment that you are given in the meantime. And you think, well, I just gotta I just gotta get through this. You trudge along. Let me tell you right now, that's how that's how I I treated my education at at NYU. And I noticed that I'm tempted to do the same thing right now with my seminary education. (laughs) So Lord, let's get this over with. This is gonna open up doors for me to prosper in my real calling. The Lord's like, what are you doing? I'm blessing you right there in the school. I'm giving you favor. I'm giving you insight. You think you ace that Hebrew midterm by yourself? You did 40% of the homework. I'm giving you grace upon grace so that you can prosper. Wherever you are, in all that you do, you will prosper. It is your obligation, Christian. It is your responsibility. You take hold of it. You turn a prophet. The word of God says in Haggai 2, nine, the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the last. What does that mean? That means you will prosper. Not only that, it says you must prosper because this is the word of the Lord. The glory of the latter house will be greater. You know, I noticed in... In my evangelical, in my seminary studies, a lot of evangelical New Testament uh, scholars, they have a common belief that the best days are behind us. That the best days are in the Bible. That the best days were in the New Testament days. The best days were during the Reformation. And that the best days are behind us. And that just totally ignores Haggai 2.9. Now, brothers and sisters, best is yet to come. The story is about to get better. The glory on God's people is about to increase. It says in um, Isaiah 9.7, of the increase of his government, talking about the Messiah, will know no end. There will be no end to his increase. We got to get this in our heads, y'all. Prosperity is not a privilege. It is an obligation. You know, I'll give you quick, three quick reasons why you wouldn't prosper. Three reasons why you wouldn't prosper. Number one is sin. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. Well, there you go. If you have hidden sin in your life, And you're not willing to walk it out through a good, healthy, healing, deliverance ministry or whatever other ministry that's available to you to confess your sins. If you're not, if you conceal your transgressions, the Bible says you will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. Deuteronomy 29, 9 says, therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. What does that mean? Prosperity, there's a condition. There's a condition. If you're not walking in the words of God's covenant, you're not walking in the word of God. You're ignoring this and you're making up your own belief system and your own form of morality. The Bible says you ain't going to prosper. Actually, the hand of God will oppose you. You don't want the hand of God to oppose you. He will jack you up. He'll just go like this and... Oh. Oh. You don't want the Lord's hand to be against you. Here's another reason why you won't prosper. If you do not inquire of His voice. Jeremiah ten twenty one it says, The shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered. And all their flock is scattered. Man, how is that for an indictment to pastors and ministers? God looks at some pastors and says, you are stupid. What he did prophetically back then, I believe this word is still living active for today. He indicts some pastors and says, you are stupid. Why? Because you have not inquired of the Lord. And that's why you have not prospered. And your sheep have been scattered. If you don't learn how to inquire of the Lord, that means if you don't connect with good, clear, precise, prophetic ministry. If you don't know how to inquire of the prophetic word of the Lord. If when you read the verse that says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If when you read that verse, the only thing you think of is The Bible but not the continuing prophetic word of the Lord that speaks to specific situations, but is in subordination to the Bible. If you don't think about prophecy in that, you're going to be in trouble. Because you are, all you're doing is you're not inquiring of the Lord. People don't inquire of the Lord, they don't prosper. And a third level, a third reason why people don't prosper, is a lack of faith. According to your faith, it will be done to you. So recession hits. Oh no! You know, I just uh, my mortgage. I got to refinance it. So what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm going to lose my job. Oh no! I'm going to. What am I going to do? People are like, I'm going to lose my job, and you're like, Oh no! I'm going to lose my job too. And you fear what they fear, and you're anxious about the same things the world's anxious about. Well, according to your faith, it will be done to you. When you have a lack of faith, you have a lack of prosperity. We need to put our faith right where it needs to be, in the word and promises of God. If you are a man or a woman that is walking in the ways of God, filled by the Spirit of God, connected with the anointing, the supernatural anointing of God. By the way, the anointing is not just for supernatural physical healing, supernatural impartation, or a prophetic word. The anointing is also an enabling grace. That once you have it, that's why people say you have an anointing for writing. What is that? That means that there is a supernatural grace upon you for writing. You have an anointing for preaching. What does that mean? That means you preach way better than all the preachers that I've ever met. Something different about you, and it can't be your seminary because you didn't finish seminary. It's an anointing. It's an enabling grace. Prosperity is an obligation, brothers and sisters. We have everything that we need to prosper. There is no situation. There is no assignment too big or too small in which you cannot prosper. There is no recession too big. There is no earthquake or famine too devastating that you cannot prosper in that place. You might be asking, what does prosperity look like? Because you know what? majority of you in here were thinking prosperity equals money that's the only kind of prosperity that you think of man what's wrong with you all you think about is money y'all okay let me show you what does prosperity look like and i'll close my message here i shouldn't have said that some of y'all just shut down your brain just now oh he's closing up let's get ready to pray Listen, just a few more minutes. Check this out. What does prosperity look like? Well, here, here in a ministry or for a pastor, prosperity looks like this. It looks like bigger size, bigger numbers. Yes, I said it. I expect bigger numbers. Why? Because I understand that I'm accountable to God to return a profit. I'm accountable. I have an obligation, not only to pastor Wong. So he won't yell at me, but I have an obligation to heaven. God looks down and says, what have you done? What have you done with the talent I gave you? What have you done with the miner that I gave you? And if all I say is, God, here's your miner. <laughs> <laughs> and in the parable, one of those parables, the, the guy says, I knew that you were a hard man. Because you look to reap where you have not sown. What, what kind of caricature did that guy have? It was a false caricature. But what was it? It was a twisted one of the true one. What was the true one? That prosperity is an obligation. But that last unfaithful, lazy servant, he took that, he took that expectation that prosperity is an obligation and he twisted it and he said, God, uh, you're, you're evil. You're like, you're, you're greedy. You're like mean for putting that kind of obligation on my life. And that was all deception. How many of you guys know that God is not a hard man? God is not like Scrooge. Here's a ministry of 40 people, Christian. Let me see what you can do for it. Let me see what you can do within 10 years. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. What have you done? God is not Scrooge. But can I tell you right now? God still expects a return. He expects you to prosper in all that you do. We have to get that in our heads. So, for a ministry, for a pastor, what does prosperity look like? It looks like size. It looks like numbers. It looks like evangelism's prospering. Discipleship is prospering. Small groups are healthy. Testimonies are being birthed. Leadership training is increasing. Leadership training is prospering and getting deeper and getting stronger and getting more mature. How about um, in relationships? In all that you do, you prosper. That means in all your relationships. Because you got to do relationships, by the way. You don't just have relationships, if you noticed. If you think you have it, and you do nothing about it. A year later, you don't have a friend anymore. Listen up. God expects you to prosper in your relationships. That means rich relationships. That are filled with intimacy. Intimacy. That are filled with trust. Trust is the most neglected commodity in the world today. And it's a shame that in the church it's similar. For instance, you know a lot of the structure we lay down here at New Philly Church. We lay down that structure so that trust can prosper. You notice right now in Libya, they kill Gaddafi. Right? And they thought, freedom! We have freedom now! But what, 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 what do you realize? There is no freedom. There is only fear. There is no safety. There is only anarchy. There is fear about, what are these rebels gonna do? They just saw all their friends and uncles getting killed in front of them. They're filled with anger. They don't wanna give up their guns. They're trying to, they're trying to give a program right now to the Libyan people. Turn in your guns and we promise you free education. And these rebels are like, what are you talking about? What schools are we going to go to? What, you're going to provide that? Fat chance. I'm going to hold on to my guns. And right now, Libya is in trouble. Why? You know, the biggest reason why Libya is in trouble? Because there's no trust. There's no trust. There is no political leader that the people trust. Even even the the rebel armies, the people don't trust those rebel armies. You know? All they got to do is, hey, hey. You like Qaddafi, don't you? And Chris is like, no, I don't like Qaddafi. I don't even know who he is. (laughs) No, 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 you do. You look like you like Qaddafi. You like Qaddafi. And they they shoot him. Whole villages, slaughtered. That's, That's a shame, man. Trust is like probably the most lacking commodity in the world today. But here's the thing. When you end your life and you have zero trust in the bank, like people don't trust you. And you don't trust them. God's going to be like, what have you done with your life? You have an obligation to prosper in your relationships. Do you understand that? That means you can't run away from church to church whenever it gets uncomfortable. That means you can't just move out from roommate to roommate to roommate. Can I tell you right now? I love my roommate James. All right, I live with him for like three years. Two and a half, three years. Where's James? The back's over. I love my brother. But can I tell you, James, before I live with you, okay, the longest I could live with a roommate was like four months. I will break that lease and I'll be out. Because you know what? When you live with somebody, you see all their flaws. You see all and they see yours. And you start criticizing them, but it's actually because you're embarrassed about yours. But you don't want to deal with it. So you know what? I'm getting a new roommate. But you know, my brother James, he really was my practice bride. <laughs> because we, and I was yours too, bro. And uh, we really stuck it to, together and we, we learned to live with each other. Right? And that helped me when I got married. Because what I realized is when I get married, I can't run away from my roommate. <laughs> I got to build trust. I have no choice. Uh, what does it look like in politics? In politics, prospering in politics means being elected. It means being elected. Or not getting elected but still having influence. Uh, I'm not referring to some lady that lived in Alaska. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, that's the way it should look like when Christians get involved in politics. They don't get swept up into all the, the drama in politics. They learn to shine and prosper in the midst of all of that immorality and the chaos and backstabbing. What does it look like when you, when you go into, uh, into the sports world? That means you win. You win championships. Come on, don't do it. Oh, come on now. You know, people say the Philadelphia Eagles season is over. But I beg to defer. Why? Because Michael Vick is at the, at the top of his game right now. And Michael Vick, although he made some mistakes in the past, he's been redeemed. He's been delivered. And he is living for Christ. And there's another guy, Jason Avant. Spirit-filled guy. Jason Avant, a couple, couple weeks ago, he dropped a few important passes. After he dropped the first pass, he went to the sideline and the NFL camera started zooming in on his face. And guess what he was doing? And he announced he was speaking in tongues. He was praying in tongues, and the announcers were like, uh, um, "Jason Navan is an amazing athlete. Uh, he, uh, you know, he he really just learns how he knows how to pick himself up after a mistake like that." They didn't know what he was doing. And then later on, he he made a big pass, and then he's back on the sideline. And He's once again speaking in tongues. And then later on that same week, I, I, his uh, testimony got. Published on, on, on a Philly.com website. It was a long testimony, man. He's like the spiritual father of that whole team. He's a strong believer. People look to him as a leader. That's why when I, with those stories, man, you cannot dismiss those stories. And if those men, they have an obligation to prosper, they will prosper! Can't say that for Eli. I can't say that. Well, I can't say that for Peyton because Peyton's out right now. Lord bless him. Can't say that for, for the cowboys. I don't know what Tony Romo believes in. Uh, Jason Wynn, I, 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 he's, a, he's a good guy, a spiritual Christian, but hey, uh, anyway, well, how am I getting? <laughs> Athletes, sports. <laughs> when you prosper in sports, guess what? You make it to the pros. And we, we get so religious sometimes, we all judge people's motives, and we don't celebrate their calling. Just because it's not to the mission's field, we think, what are you doing? Why are you going, what are you going to college ball for? Why are you neglecting your studies and focusing on your sports? Well, maybe it's because it's his calling. I'm not telling to neglect his studies, but you do what you got to do. I don't blame athletes for doing that. If they're completely neglecting their studies, that's on them. But I don't neglect them when they got to do what they do to get, 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 get past. Why? Because when they prosper in their calling, that means they make it to the pros. And when they get to the pros and they continue to prosper, guess what? They win championships. What's it look like to prosper for an entrepreneur? That means they invent the next Facebook. And they create 8,000 jobs. High paid jobs. They create the next Amazon. The next eBay. You know, right now in America, they have an unemployment issue. Here's what I think. All them people sitting on their butts... Not willing to go out apple picking to make an honest dollar right now because they want to sit on their unemployment checks? It's not for everybody, but for the majority of Americans right now. They've been on their unemployment butts and and living off the unemployment checks for far too long. It's not an unemployment problem. It's an innovation problem. Because right now, one thing if you know about jobs in America, all the jobs in America have gone to India and China. There are no jobs left in America. So what do they do? They try to push immigration laws and then they end up, you know, screwing over all these Mexicans. (laughs) They have nothing to do with anything. All the migrant workers, all the immigrant workers, some of them, they're illegally. And they're getting messed up with all these immigration laws there was an article today in uh, INC magazine said why the next Steve Jobs is going to be Asian and, and the whole premise of the article was he's going to be Asian because normally all of the innovators all the Steve Jobs Steve Jobs is an immigrant by the way he was fathered by an immigrant exchange student okay from, the, from the, I believe from the Middle East most people don't know that they, think, they just think he's white Anyway, the article was saying the reason why the next Steve Jobs is going to be Asian is because all of the, the brightest talents and the brightest minds from Asia, from India, from China, from Hong Kong, all these guys, because of the new immigration laws, they can't do entrepreneurship in America. So they're taking it back to their home countries. And America is wondering why there's no jobs. But when an entrepreneur prospers... 10,000 new jobs get made where there were no jobs before. Uh, And as a church, as the people of God, we got to be the solution, not part of the problem. And I'm tired of seeing all these CEOs, these entrepreneurs. And you know what? Because they don't have the spirit of God, their products are good. But ours can be much better. Do you know that? Ours can be way better! Way better! Do you know that the Enlightenment was headed, I studied this past week, right? In two of my classes, I studied it. By a guy named Descartes, Spinoza, and Leibniz, or Leibniz. I don't know how to say his name. I did research on this guy, Leibniz, right? Besides Spinoza, Descartes and Leibniz, or Leibniz, they were strong christians and if you study what leibniz wrote blow your mind he invented the first mechanical calculators way back then before they, they they you know he he came up with theories for calculus not only that he not only did that but he did philosophy and he's credited for this uh idea called optimism you know why? Because his basic belief was that God is good. Do you know that? His philosophy is backed up by the basic belief and idea of optimism. That God is good and he acts in any given situation for good. These guys, they, they turn the world upside down. And you know what? Back in those times, most Of the leading philosophers. You know, Pascal? Strong Christian. I believe he was a Calvinist too. I read the the Catholic... um, The the Counter-Reformation. And uh, Pascal was mentioned. Anyway, man. All these amazing thinkers, minds, entrepreneurs of back then. They were all Christians. What was going on today? You know why? It's because this pulpit is being abused. The only message that comes out of the pulpit is everybody put in your offering for this mission trip that's coming up. Everybody, let's go out evangelizing. Great commission. It's all about the great commission. It is about the great commission. But did you notice that in the great commission, it says, go and disciple all nations, teaching them everything I've commanded you. does not just say, go out and evangelize and do discipleship. It says disciple, not just individuals. It says disciple nations. We're coming to a time where the church of God is going to rise up to such anointing and influence. That their leadership is going to shift nations. Cities and nations are going to be discipled by spirit-filled Christians. And that's the way it should be. Because it is our obligation to advance the kingdom that way. Do you guys get it in your heads what I'm talking about today? Obligation is not a privilege. I mean, prosperity is not a privilege. <laughs> obligation is not a privilege. Uh, that's good, that's a true statement, too. Prosperity is not just a privilege or a blessing or a byproduct of God's goodness. Prosperity is your obligation. Go read the parable of the talents the parable of the minors, and you will look and get a glimpse into the mind of God of how he is going to give uh, demand an account of your life at Judgment Day. And let me tell you right now, let me let me bring Judgment Day to you today. God's going to expect a return. So what are you going to do with your gifts? What are you going to do with your time? What are you going to do with your college degree? What are you going to do with all the spiritual teachings and revelation that go out from this house? What are you going to do with the anointing that you have received for free at the laying on of hands? What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much, God. That Lord. You're a God of great grace and kindness. But God, you also look for the bottom line. Lord, we don't want to use grace and kindness as an excuse for living a lazy life, for living a mediocre life, for living a life that is void of God's creative power, of God's creative ideas, of God's creative anointing. We don't want to live a life that is void of all that, but we want to live lives in which we're like that tree. Where our leaf does not wither. And we bear our fruit in season. For the world in season means when the economy is doing well. But for the church of God in season means in the time of earthquakes. In the time of shaking. In the time of recession. May we bear our fruit in season. In all that we do God. May we prosper. To the glory of your awesome name Lord. We know that there are certain men and women in here, when they prosper, chains of injustice are going to be broken off. The poor in Cambodia are going to be given an opportunity to come out of their poverty. The orphans in India will no longer be maimed by gangsters because gangsters reign and rule on those streets. But rather the people of God will begin to take those streets, begin to reign and rule and pass laws in those streets. To protect and provide safety because we know your heart is for the fatherless and orphans. When your people prosper, God, NFL films, ABC News, 60 Minutes will feature people, not postmodernists or liberals, but it will begin to feature Christians, spirit filled, tongue talking, anointed, no apology Christians. 60 Minutes will interview Christians, God, with amazing testimonies where people watch the shows and say, this can only be because of God. God must be with you. Just like Potiphar said over Joseph, God must be with you. Because everything you do prospers. Father, shift the thinking and mindset of the church today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.